And we're back with the Live Fire Cooking Podcast. This is episode number 16. We've got Derek Wolf, the gentleman that runs Over the Fire Cooking. And we've got Christy Vanover from Girls Can Grill, our usual suspects here. And I'm Jonathan from Brio. And uh, we're going to just start with our, our kind of our normal Q&A where we talk about what's been cooked recently. Christy, why don't you start us off? What are some things you've cooked recently that you're excited about? I've been really focused on beef lately. Um, I lit up the Brio uh, a couple weekends ago, and I did some tri-tip. Um, and, and I've been really having some fun with kettle cooking as well and, like, Dutch oven cooking and using that new Brio hook, and, and I hung a big pot of beans. I think it's the time of year where it's, you know, it's chilly outside, and so everybody just likes a big pot of beans or a big pot of chili. So cooking that over the open fire was fun. Um, and then I tried something new that I didn't know if it was going to work, um, which was a skillet cornbread. But usually when I do skillet cornbread, I'll do it actually in the oven. And I, I tried that over um, live fire. And for the most part, it worked. Um, the key to it was really rotating it around so that it didn't have that blasting direct heat that would burn the bottom. You kind of got to cook it slow because it's cooking from the bottom up since it wasn't covered. Um, so for the most part, it was good. The bottom got a little bit crunchy, but but that was a fun experience. Um, and then I did some Hasselback potatoes, which are one of my favorite sides. For those people who don't know what Hasselback potatoes are, um, it's when you take a potato and you basically slice it really thinly, but you don't slice all the way through. So you don't make like chips. Um, it stays together. And then you just smother it in herbs and garlic and butter. Um, and you cook that. I did that cook for about 300 degrees for about two and a half hours. Um, the potato gets really nice and soft. And then the it just also gets that little crisp to it. And the key to a perfect baked potato is cooking it to 210 degrees. So a lot of different things like that, plus a big old tomahawk. I had to had to sear up, do a reverse sear on a tomahawk. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a fun, tasty uh, couple of days. That's awesome. That sounds great. I think that's very appropriately time for this time of year. Um, with like the, the big Dutch oven stuff and, uh, yeah. kind of warm and fuzzy recipes. Um, Absolutely. Derek, how about you? What you've been doing recently? So I tried my first, uh, hot and fast brisket. Um, oh yeah. Hello. Yeah. Um, so for those that don't know, I love cooking over fire, but I really, uh, I specialize in probably non Americanized, uh, grilling. And so, brisket and, um, you know, like pork shoulder and a lot of just classic styles. Uh, I'm, you know, I don't do very often. Um, brisket is so crazy too. I mean, you know, you got to cook it for hours. Um, but I really think that this one has been really interesting. I, I really love, uh, the idea of being able to cook a, a brisket from, uh, you know, I mean, what would usually take probably anywhere from 12 to sometimes even 18 hours. Uh, now you can cook it in like four and a half. Um, and I, the results were amazing. Uh, I did a full American Wagyu brisket, uh, big shout out to Christy, uh, who actually called her about halfway through my cook (laughs) and was like, Hey, what, what do I need to be doing for a couple of different questions? Um, we actually had a fun idea. Uh, it's like ask Jeeves, but for barbecue questions where people can answer them. Uh, yeah, brisket 911. <laughs> yeah, brisket 101. Uh, so anyway, um, but she really knows her stuff. And uh, that really, really helps. So I can't take full credit. Um, but 
brisket came out great. Uh, I think that the first time I ever did hot, uh, or the first time I've ever kind of thought about doing hot and fast, I always was confused because, um, you know, you imagine that it's probably not going to break down uh, and not be as juicy and as tender as you'd hope it to be. Um, and that's just really not the case. Uh, I will say that probably over a longer period of time, that intermuscular fat uh, would break down a lot more. Um, but if you're not really, you know, that fat that sits between what the point and the flat um, would break down a lot more. Is that right, Christy? Would it break down more on a... It would. It de- Yeah, it definitely would. Although it in and of itself, it's really not all that edible. I mean, I mean, fat is fat, you know, it's, it's not going to completely melt, but it, it'll melt a little bit more. But um, yeah, that's, I you know, just don't usually eat that part. It, that really just more adds flavor to the rest of the meat. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you can get past that, I know some people um, really love fat and some people think it's just not cool. So um, if you can kind of get past that and trim it up really nice and uh, and just kind of go through that process. I really recommend it. My um, so I did about four and a half hours. Uh, I did salt and black pepper, and then when I added moisture, um, some liquid kind of towards the end, I put uh, some really good bourbon and some white vinegar. Um, so that I mean, you can do a lot of things. I know people that add beer uh, and uh, beef broth. Uh, yeah. But I, I love the flavor of bourbon and the vinegar really helps to cut through the fat just because it is such a fatty piece of meat. That's why it takes so long to cook. <laughs> so Yeah, I, I love that you did that for a mop because I'm so used to tra- traditional American barbecue and, you know, doing those ma- basic flavors of like beef broth or or water or whatever else. So for you to to add that bourbon and vinegar kick, I, I'm sure that tasted so fantastic. It really, I, I mean, you definitely could taste the bourbon. Um, the vinegar really did help to cut the fat. I actually think the next time I'm going to do it, I'm going to do, I'm going to leave the bourbon on the side for me to drink. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to, I assumed you did that anyway. Yeah, well, no, I definitely did that, but I, like, you know, I, the, the brisket ain't going to have none of my bourbon. Um, I think the next time though, I probably would add a uh, hot sauce and vinegar together. Um, so, oh, yeah. yeah I, I mean, I guess in some way, um, I, I mean, I love spicy. Uh, when I'm eating brisket, I'm always thinking uh, when I lived on the west uh, side of Texas, we were adding like a hot barbecue sauce um, mm-hmm. with the brisket. And so I always think of brisket with hot sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, so adding like a vinegar and hot sauce kind of mixture in there for the moisture, I think that would add like a good spicy kick to it. Mm-hmm. Um and then the only other thing I would do is if I just if I didn't want to do that, I'd probably add cayenne to the top of the uh, brisket. I'd do black pepper, salt, and cayenne. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my my rubs definitely got some different chilies and peppers in there to to add that little that little bite. And because it's such a fatty piece of meat, yeah. it can handle all yeah. of that. So absolutely, between the fat um, and the smoke, it can really absorb some of that heat, and it kind of takes the edge off of it. I think a little bit. Uh, it's not quite as yeah. aggressive. Yeah, I know. And I, I would think like maybe even adding like some Chipotle, but, um, and I do think that that'd be good, but I feel like with the hot sauce, you'll get that smokiness that Chipotle would naturally have anyway. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I had a lot of fun with it. I'm, uh, I'm going to be trying to do some more fun stuff, um, and kind of transition. I feel like, uh, you know, over the course of, 
maybe the past six months, I'm starting to see some kind of new trends when it comes to cooking. And I think hot and fast is probably one of them. Do y'all agree? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Um, what was your, one question I have for you, Derek, is um, what would you say the reaction was from your community? Like what were people saying, um, seeing you do more of a traditional cut like that? Like what, what would you say that the comments were like? Um, well, uh, all the Americans thought it was great. Um, all, all the Texans uh, liked that I used the the Texas crutch. So adding the moisture yeah. kind of in. Um, and uh, I did get some comments about like the vinegar and the bourbon. People thought that that was definitely different and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it was funny though. A lot, of, a lot of people that are international, I thought it was hilarious. The, I got a few comments that were like, um, that's really good, but it would have been better if it was medium rare. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> not the right cut for that. But I, the heart was there. The heart was there. Um, you know that that's funny because I got a comment on my tri tip from somebody saying, "Why does everybody cook their tri tip medium rare? If you cook it like a brisket, it oof. tastes so much better." And I've I've, I've never taken a tri tip to two hundred degrees. I, maybe uh, maybe uh, it's good, but it's a fat ratio <laughs> thing, and there's not enough there. I, I would. It would. It, it would just would dry, dry out, out yeah. right? <laughs> Unless it was like You'd insanely marbled. Yeah. Or, or just wrap it in bacon. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Or just <laughs> yeah, that'd be like taking yeah. a pork loin. Like to, Maybe if you like basted death, it in yeah, butter so. like incessantly every single minute, it would you'd keep that moisture. Yes. But I, yes. I think the tri-tip <laughs> game is, is it can't be improved. It's It's – it's yeah. It's, it's on lock. lock. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, so, <laughs> well, go ahead, with tri-tip, with tri-tip, um, like tr- you know, at least what I would say is traditional style with the Santa Maria kind of West Coast cooking of tri-tip. They're still cooking it kind of low and slow, yeah. even though it's not really like in mm-hmm. encased in a grill, and they are cooking it, um, you know, to a probably more like a medium to medium rare. Um, but like when we went out, when Christy and I went out to Alisol, um, and they're cooking on the, the tri-tips. I mean, they marinated it in chimichurri and they were cooking it on as high as that, you know, grill could take it, um, mm-hmm. on level from the heat. And it was probably only getting what, like 275, maybe 300 degrees off of that direct fire. Yeah. Um, yeah from the distance. Yeah. And they were just flipping it back and forth, flipping it back and forth and, just keeping those, you know, playing ping pong with the juices inside and, you know, it was really yeah. good. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was. So, sure. But, I mean, yeah, try to hard to beat. <laughs> I think hot and fast, though, is really fun. I'd love to try it on some other things. Um, I, I think that there are definitely some other fun ways of cooking um, with hot and fast. Uh, I've just been kind of blown away with kind of the transition I've seen trends uh, kind of take hold, things that are like classical ways of cooking kind of evolving. And I think it'd be interesting to to get y'all's input. I, I see hot and fast is becoming a, a bigger trend. What do y'all kind of see coming out uh, in 2020 um, as potential trends in, in the grilling and cooking and open fire space? 
I think in addition to hot and fast, we're probably going to see some more cold smoking and like making of like smoked salts and, you know, even smoked butters or, you know, smoked ice. I know that's kind of been a trend for a little bit of, you know, a little while now where people smoke water and then they turn it into ice cubes for a nice, you know, bourbon on the rocks or something. But I, I am seeing that like you can smoke beans like in their dry state and then you can take that. And then once you cook them down, it just adds that little element, whether you're using a smoking gun or like in an amazing tube that you fill with pellets um, or some pellet girls can cold smoke too but um i think that i think people just throughout their dishes they're gonna we're gonna see more yeah. smoke infusion yeah. definitely i think it's it's gonna be i mean i'm kind of a you know one trick pony when it comes to trends i'm pretty sold on on seeing more and more people cooking um using more primitive mes- methods using uh you know maybe less technology and more open fire direct styles styles of cooking but i do think that cold smoking um is kind of in some ways maybe the other end where it's like you know we've the person that has perfected, um, you know, perfected their pulled pork, maybe their their chicken. They're looking for challenging themselves, and I think on the the cold smoking end is definitely one aspect where you can impress your friends in doing something like a you know, cheese or a bacon or whatever um, that is not a typical barbecue cut. Um, where you can, I just recently a friend of mine here um, in in uh, Pennsylvania, they have a they have a Traeger, and uh, they just did like forty pounds of bacon. Uh, for themselves that they froze, like they smoked the bacon and they froze nice. it. I think stuff like that definitely is a bit of a head turner because we're not used to um, doing things like that uh, in the backyard setting. Yeah. Yeah. Cured meats, I think definitely will continue to, you know, people have kind of been doing that over the past couple of years, but I think that's going to continue to grow. I think more and more people now are grilling because of the the pellet grill and where that's taken the market. And so I think that people, the pellet grill has been around now for a few years and people have that confidence. And there, I think there's going to be that transition where they're going to try the new things like making their own sausage, making their own bacon. And then, as I've said before, I hope they also transition to understanding, okay, I've got confidence in working with fire and heat and understanding meat. And now, they'll transition back to that more primitive style cooking. Yeah. That's what I hope to yeah. see. Yeah. You know, I actually did. Um, I was uh, one of the brands that I work with wanted me to do like a poll on my Facebook or on my Instagram uh, to kind of see what kind of grills people use on a daily basis. Um, mm-hmm. And it was so interesting to see as I was kind of scrolling through uh, everybody's, you know, response to it. I would say probably 30% of them were pellet grills in some way. Um, and 30% of them were, uh, like traditional kettle or, um, Kamado style grills. Uh, but then the last, what is that? 40%? I can't do math, but the last 40%, <laughs> um, people were using fire pits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nice. so I'm really starting to see what was once a, like a, how do I even say it? But like in some way kind of it's, frowned upon maybe is like just cooking on your fire pit. You don't actually have a grill. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> what we once kind of like frowned upon is now like becoming more common. I actually think trend wise, um, I think that we're going to start seeing people that were confident with pellets, um, which is still grilling uh, and still awesome. People that are confident started off with pellets are going to slowly transition into the next move up in one step, um, whether that mean offsets or that mean Kamados or just pure charcoal in some way. Uh, and I really do think that some of those charcoal guys um, that have been using kind of, it's like a semi-controlled environment. 
um, are going to start to transition out uh, and start cooking over open pit. And I think what that correlates to, I think my biggest trends that I'm kind of seeing is uh, I think we're going to start seeing more international styles of cooking uh, in 2020. I think we're going to see people that never knew what a Churrasco sword was are that's going to, I wouldn't say it's going to become common knowledge, but I think there are going to be more people that know what it is. Um, I think people are going to start knowing some of these terms like, you know, al asador or al pastor. I mean, that's a, you know, I, I love al pastor. It's very um, uh, Hispanic American um, uh, and really Hispanic and, you know, traditionally, but I think we're going to start seeing people actually doing that. Um, at home, Absolutely. Uh, and cooking like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's the power of social media too. We're, we're so close to our friends overseas because of the internet that we can take on their styles, learn from them. They can learn from us, you know, good traditional American barbecue. And it's just such a small world with Instagram and Facebook and all of that, that, yeah, I think we see stuff and we're just like, I got to try this. And then, and then also from there, not just the style of cooking, but the flavors, just like you were talking about how you kind of mix things up with brisket. I can see, I can see a lot of that happening. There's just, there's just so many things that you can do with different pieces of meat. And then Instagram is also going to drive, I think, the the size of meat that people are cooking because it's all about the gram. You know, we post a whole hog on there as long as Instagram doesn't block it as sensitive content. Um, <laughs> then it's like people want to see that next big sexy thing out there on Instagram. So I think that people will be more driven to try those fun experiments that get, um, you know, that get the likes or whatever, get the, just exactly. Some fun exactly. And I happen. think so, the other side of that same coin, even if you take that, um, to an offline application is that food and entertainment um, are becoming so, you know, they're merging, I think, in our culture. And um, a lot of people with, you know, the, they always talk about how some of the younger generations are all about experiences. You know, they're not less about the white picket fence. They're more about, mm-hmm. you know, going to Thailand. And it's all about the experience. And I think as um, the cooking styles in the backyard, outdoor living trends we've seen for the last 10 years um, kind of come alongside some of that, you know, focus on experience, the, the way that food is prepared in the backyard visually is all of a sudden going to become important when in the past it really wasn't. It was more like the, the presentation at the dinner table was important, but the actual preparation phase was mm-hmm. behind closed doors, um, you know, literally locked in a smoker. I think that the visual aspect of cooking over live fire or, or direct heat and any, and any, any kind of direct cooking that doesn't covered um, is that not only are you posting on Instagram and it's looking awesome, but your, your friends that are physically there, you know, drinking beers and watching you do that are like blown away by, by that aspect of it. Um, and I think that's another reason why I feel that a lot of these trends towards more, you know, experiential, um, styles of cooking are going to, are going to be adopted very quickly is because that's already in alignment with some of our values as a culture. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's, there's two other trends I think that we'll see that I'm not as much in love with, um, digital and technology, you know, they just keep making things that'll do everything for you. I'm pretty sure in the future series going to be grilling for me, you know, or Alexa or whatever. So, you know, I know that they, they do stuff like that to make things easier for people, but, um, I, I'm not really down with all of the technology stuff. Cause I, again, I like more of the primitive style of working with charcoal and wood and, and all of that. But, and then the other trend that, that I, that I think we're all seeing is more of that plant-based yep. 
you know, imitation type of meat. And I'm, I'm a protein girl, like, you know, real on meat kind of girl. So I don't think I'll be going that direction in my cooking, but I, you know, absolutely. And I think that it's easy for, I would say us and more of the establishment side of that, of the food world to, to push back on that. And I think there's a lot of, um, really good, um, reasons from a, from, from the nutritional side, there's a lot of questions with some of those things that it's a very, it's very underreported, under research. Yeah. But what is forcing us to do as a community is realize, okay, so if we're going to say no to that, what's our answer? And I think that's where uh, the hunting side comes in a sustainable um, conservation fo- focused um, ways of gathering, uh, you know, meat, whether it's fish um, w- through fishing or, or hunting, or in the more common sense with, with what are, what types of, you know, farming applications are we aligning ourselves with, with what kind of food um, that we're cooking? Because there's so many, um, there's so much research done on sustainable farming um, that is very sustainable. I mean, it's, yeah. it's you know, uh, especially your large herbivores um, in a su- sustainable concept are, are really not bad uh, for the environment. So I think some of those, some of those trends being pushed from almost the outside of the community in with some of the plant-based meats, um, ultimately it just forces us in the community to have an answer for that, um, either by adopting that or by realizing that we need to be more articulate about where our meat's coming from. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause there, there are so many trends in the ranching community that have made raising cattle and pork and everything so much more environmentally, uh, friendly, you know, for, yeah, there's just, there's a lot going on that, um, that the ranching community is really changing things the way they were, absolutely. you know, decades yeah. ago. So. That is some interesting. I mean, I think we're now kind of expanding past maybe what 2020 will be. I think we're looking at like the next five years, True. but um, I really do agree with you. I think that uh, we're we're going to find ourselves in a position where we're going to be writing a lot more. I personally think we'll be writing a lot more wild game recipes um, here in the future. Uh, and that'll have a lot more access and or people will be desiring that more. What do you guys think, if you were to say, what's one trend, one specific trend that you would encourage people to jump on board with right now to stay ahead of the curve, what would it be? And I'll, I'll kick us off kind of linchpinning with the wild game. I actually think writing wild game recipes, one of the goals has been for me is writing wild game recipes that does not utilize bacon. <laughs> um, you know, finding finding creative ways to enha- to uh, add fat and add flavor and, and make high quality, really good uh, game recipes um, that is not, you know, wrapped in bacon, covered in lard and deep fried. Um, I think that that's been kind of the one thing that I've been pushing with um, now with going hunting and the venison. Um, and I have a lot of friends out here that, you know, I want to be doing that and getting wild turkey and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I would say if anybody, I think that that, that would be a trend um, that I would encourage uh, and harp on is, uh, you know, start think of, thinking of creative ways to cook wild game um, if you don't or just start cooking wild game if you really have not ever had it yep. before. Um, Absolutely. What do, you, what do you all think? Yeah. You know what I'd like to see people do is go to their supermarket aisle and 
find the, the least expensive piece of meat and see what they can come up with with that. You know, it's not that expensive. So they're going to find a cut that if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But to, for us to like play around and try using those alternative cuts of meat instead of going straight for the ribeye, straight for the filet mignon, you know, straight for the ribs, let's, let's play around with those other cuts that are less familiar, a little bit less expensive and see what kind of amazing food yeah. we can create. Yeah. Out of those. For me, what kind of cut would that be? Just so I'm curious. Um, you know, like, like maybe even going toward a chuck steak versus a ribeye steak or, you know, different, different cuts of steak. And it's going to vary, I think from, from market to market and region to region, you know, tri-tip's not all that expensive out here, but it's going to be a little bit more of a a prime cost probably out on the East coast because it's just not as popular. Um, but yeah, even in, even in the, the pork section, you know, finding, just cooking up some pork cutlets and playing around with that on the grill. You can just do a nice like Asian marinade on those and then do a quick sear even on a griddle or on a grill. And um, yeah, I think it would just be fun to see people experiment with things other yeah. than tomahawk ribeyes, yeah, I- <laughs> which I'm guilty of well, myself. I think but- <laughs> in the mix is, is where you have, you know, the beauty. And one, you know, tip that I found that worked great when it comes to taking um, some of those, you know, less desirable cuts, like, like take a chuck steak, for example. Um just throwing that in a, you know, buying yourself a $60 Anova sous vide, throwing that in there for 12 hours and then cooking mm-hmm. it on direct heat, black pepper, you know, sea salt, and just throw that on your fire. You're going to have an amazing steak that is, you know, medium rare in the middle, perfect rim to rim and is tender um, because you did the extra step with the sous vide. And so, you know, doing things like that to take these tougher cuts um, and you still get that same fire flavor and really, honestly, no extra work. That sous vide runs in your cupboard by itself. And you don't even have to really look at it. Um, so just things like that. But as far as my trend, I mean, I'm just never going to get off the soapbox of live fire cooking. I think that um, we're going to see that loud and clear in 2020 um, and even more so beyond. It's still a very small movement, but um it's just like Derek was saying about, you know, all of his followers that cook on a fire pit where in the past that would almost be looked down upon. Uh, what I'm noticing is that people are looking at the um, the live fire side almost as it's it's almost flip flopped um, rather than it being the, the ra- rather than it being the the part that is sort of like, well, we're going to do this because we can't use, you know, more of a, of a common grill because we're camping. It's like, we're going to specifically go create an area in our backyard to cook over fire. Um, even though we have our, you know, our ceramic grill there, our pellet grill there, whatever, um, because of what it adds and because of the experience side of it. So I think you're going to see that loud and clear in 2020. Cool. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, this is cool. What are the trends that we, uh, and I know I'm throwing this out there cold and I don't have an answer myself, but what are the trends that were popular in 2019 that might fade away in 2020? <laughs> that is an interesting one. Uh, Derek, you got anything on that? Um, well. Tacos will never no, die. Tacos will never <laughs> die. I'm trying to think of like what, you know, what is popular that's going to transition. Um, man. And, you know, there's a there's a lot of cuts of meat out there that became really popular this year um, that I can't I'm not going to say that they're going to die. But I definitely think that people are going to um, maybe potentially uh, move on from. I, I actually think I know this might sound crazy, but um, I think like skirt steak has uh, is hitting itself in uh, a level where it's like so expensive in a lot of places. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily dying. I just think everybody's buying. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody knows about it. Uh, so that's one thing I think that we'll start seeing um, where you're hitting on like getting different cuts of meat. I actually think a lot of these butcher cuts or even, um, you know, getting into some weirder stuff. Uh, I think people are going to start, especially people like us who are trying to be more cutting edge or trying to stay, a, a, you know, in front of the curve. I think we'll start seeing that. And I think skirt steak is starting um, to put itself now in the realm of comedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like yeah. tri-tip has become common yeah. too. Like, <clears throat> like it was really popular when half the country couldn't find it. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was, became desirable, but I think it's more commonplace. And so it's, it's yeah. you know, kind of just like any other cut, uh, still delicious. I have a but, theory on this yeah. that, um, and this wouldn't happen like immediately, but I, I could see that the, the, the mighty tomahawk um, is over time becomes a bit more <clears throat> dethroned um, simply because it was, it went from, it went like, if you look at a graph, if there was a way to graph this, it went straight up as far as the popularity of that cut. Um, it's such a visually, you know, powerful um, piece of meat that in 2019, it was just like everywhere. It was all the rage. Um, I could see that it, it being used less. Um, there'd be less hype around it because just because we've all seen it. Um, in, you know, it's, it is a glorified. Yeah, exactly. And so it has its place. I, I love Mm -hmm. it from a visual standpoint. It's, I mean, there's, if you're at a party and you whip out a tomahawk, there's just every single person there is paying attention. I don't see that necessarily going away. Like, like I said, immediately, but I could see that the prominence of that cut, uh, going down from, from this point out. Yeah. I do like though, that other proteins have jumped on that. Like, you know, you can now find a tomahawk pork chop. You can, you know, people lollipop their chicken wings or chicken legs to get that same kind of, there's just something about the effect of the big bone in proportion with the meat. So I, I, yeah, I do like that, but I agree. I think people are going to be looking for, you know, maybe it is the Tarasco sword replaces the tomahawk bone. It's going to be, it's still going to be something that's big and unique, but I think you're right. I think that's it's cool, but I mean, we we're did it with, Derek's, with Derek's buck uh, with venison. So it's, it's, I mean, it's like, it, nice. and that was awesome. It was, it was great. And there's, there is like, I know it's kind of, it, it's not, you know, a really a practical argument, but there is something nice about having a handle on your meat. I mean, when we were cooking those, um, on the rim of the Phoenix, it was great. We could just flip them holding the little, you know, a little venison rib bone coming out. But I'm just thinking that, that the almost, you know, yeah, overpowering presence of the tomahawk might weaken over time. That's my point. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I even, um, I was going to say too, and this may kind of go with the the answer or the question, Christy, but I actually think people are going to start paying attention uh, when it comes to their fire grills instead of a staple piece item. They're going to start looking at functionality. Um, I think that that's going to be a trend moving away from like, wow, that's a cool looking fire pit and grill to, mm-hmm. wow, that cooks well and is usable and I can, is multi-purpose and it looks good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of grills and products on the market right now that are crazy, that are unique. And I'm, I mean, I, I'm the one that pushes a lot of them too. Um, but I think that we're going to start seeing a trend in people um, wanting to have a grill that is full functioning and is not just a grill. 
personally. And that, you know, that's not a plug for burrito. I'm just saying it really is. I, I really do think it's people are going to transition away from these big hefty grills that take, you know, hours or an hour or so to even get hot enough to cook on to wanting something that, you know, has the easiness of being able to cook over fire in 15 minutes. Um, so I do think, and I think that's going to push innovation uh, to another level as well. Um, that's why I think the Traegers and the pellet grills are are not really going away anytime soon. I also think that's why the Kamados and the classic kettles are not really going away anytime soon. But I do think we're going to see a re uh, a burst out of um, what was just you know plain fire cooking products into like these are full functioning fire pits and grills and have all these attachments or whatever. Um, I see that as, as a new trend coming out in this year, people taking that, like if they're going to cook over fire, they want it to be usable. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And we've got some really exciting stuff planned for spring 2020. Um, So if you're listening to this and you, know what we do here at Brio. You could probably guess in what direction we're headed uh, with some of the new products. We've got some stuff we've never we've never done in this exact way that's going to build out our line, I think, really well. So that's going to be coming here uh, over the next couple months, which is super exciting. Um, any final thoughts before we uh, sign off for today's ep- episode? I want to see more tiny grills. <laughs> yeah. I want to see, I want to see, you know, there's little, the little grill that I can throw in the back of my Jeep and just go off-roading somewhere and just have a quick, quick light it up, whether I'm fishing, catch something. I'm not usually that lucky, but <laughs> just, uh, yeah, I, I, I want to see more of that little portability. Yeah, portability, I think kind of falls in to what I was trying to say as well. Just like multifunctional yeah. and compact <clears throat> and usable in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So all right. I, I, uh, to, I don't think I really have any final thoughts except, um, I just really encourage y'all to, to keep, uh, kind of pushing it and, and listening. Thank you so much for kind of listening up. And, um, I know I'm really excited for 2020. I think 2020 is going to be massive. We got a lot of fun things, uh, going on here at Over the Fire. Um, if y'all didn't know, I actually launched my new my new website uh, awesome. today. Uh, so that should be live now. So y'all go and check that out. Uh, and we got a lot of fun things coming down the line. So it should be a good year. Sounds great. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> I'm ready to go outside and light yeah. a fire. <laughs> Hyped up. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Um, And uh, we'll be back again next week. But um, until then, go light your fires and have a good weekend. Cheers. Later.